Welcome to the new TV Gold podcast from Media Week's Andrew Mercado and James Manning, a podcast for people who love great television. Welcome to a special episode of TV Gold. I'm James Manning from Media Week. Joining me, as he does on every episode of TV Gold, is a contributing TV editor at Media Week, Andrew Mercado, and our special guest, because we're going to devote this whole episode to a new stand series, Court. We're going to be speaking to the creator and maybe the general lunatic who powered this whole project, Kit Gurry. Welcome to TV Gold. Uh, thank you, James. Thank you, Andrew, my old friend. My old friend, indeed. We have a bit of a history, James, because when I started on Channel V, it like fed right into Kick's role in looking for Ala Brandy. And then Garage Days, the Alex Preuss film, which was a film basically made for the Channel V audience. So, you know, we we spent a lot of time uh, together during those years. And I, I'm so, so thrilled to see Court. I think I've watched three or four episodes. I think it was three that they sent us. I can't believe how fantastic it is. And, and I'm, that's not a diss on you, but I just can't believe that in the, the many, many years that I haven't seen you, you've been working on this and you've delivered something so incredibly original and wild and outrageous and so many jokes and gags in there. I mean, you don't just take pot shots at Australian TV. You, you pull out a semi-automatic rifle and start riffing on reality TV and breakfast TV, and it's just so jammed with so many references. This is a show that I'm going to have to watch again from start to finish. I'm, I'm so blown away by what you've done with Court. Oh, thank you, Andrew. Yes. And yeah, look, it felt to me like the best place to make fun of something um, from was the inside of it. And having spent 20, 25 years inside of the, the TV industry and the film industry and, and having a, a particular love for Aust like, like you do of, of Australian TV and Australian pop culture. I remember in those early years of starting out acting, there were some older actors who I just adored and loved and, um, and they were so generous to me and I, and, and so welcoming to feel a part of Australia's industry. And, and we, we have a funny, um, industry in Australia, I think, where some of the big stars and, and having, you know, Carl Stefanovic and Alison Langdon involved in the show, you know, they're big, big pop culture identities in Australia. They, they, they take up a lot of space in pop culture. And that, that was sort of my fascination more than, but than film or television in particular was, it was pop culture and, I've always been fascinated by where we, where pop culture shines its lens. What do we, what is the popular sort of culture of the time, uh, artistically, um, and, and entertainment wise? And so, yeah, from the inside of it, I, I hope it's seen with sort of a, a, a sort of winking reverence for, for everything that's involved. Um, I, I certainly didn't set out to make any sort of, um, wildly offensive statements or, 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 or that I've taken offense to anything in, the, in, in the industry. I see it more of as a, a Monty Python-esque sort of like Life of Brian, maybe pointing out the, the absurdities of, um, of Catholicism with Life of Brian, but sort of having a reverence for the myths and the stories behind it as well. Nick, um, I, I think you've nearly answered my first question because it's, to me, in a way, it's, it's a bit unclassifiable, this series. It's sort of, it's so rich in a lot of different ways. Um, so is it right to call it a comedy? You mentioned Monty Python. And are there, are there parts in it, though, 
almost I felt a bit awkward. Oh, I wonder if I should laugh here. Can we laugh at all yeah. of it? <laughs> Yeah, James, the, the 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 sort of reference for me um, creatively a little bit because I, I sort of wanted to make something quite original. That's always been my obsession with stories. I just I grew up around dinner tables with my parents and their friends watching really smart people try and convince each other of something. And so that idea of two opposing ideas wasn't something I was ever afraid of. It was it was my most exciting moments or when their really smart friends would come over and. And sometimes that would drift into film. And I remember Dead Poets Society being a particular one where they were, they were debating whether or not Mr. Keating, the, the, the Robin Williams character should have encouraged Neil to become an actor. And, and in my eyes, when I watched it, of course he should have. That's what he wanted to do. And, um, and the idea that he was responsible, but those opposing ideas was sort of the, the kernel of, of the beginning kernel, the creative kernel for me. Um, and the tonally wise, as you say, Boogie Nights was a bit of a reference for me, um, tonally. I thought if we're going to make fun of something, Boogie Nights has that strange feeling when you're watching it that I think you'd call it a comedy, Boogie Nights, but when you go back and watch it, incredibly dark bits, incredibly emotionally <clears throat> um, complex and confronting pieces in it, um, and that's where I think what probably exists. I think probably if you, if you could only – if we lived in a, a binary world and we only had comedy and drama, you'd have to probably call it a comedy. But certainly I, I, I think there's dramatic aspects. And, and for me, I, what I really want it to be and what, and what I love is I want it to be a, a conversation starter amongst, I think comedy is a great entry point for that. Um, I've, I've spoken to Andrew about this before, but I think that there's an Oscar Wilde quote that we've lost the ability to play gracefully with ideas. And I think as a society, social media has given rise to this fear in everyone around debating ideas. Uh, and I think comedy is a good way to get in there and sort of poke fun at everything and hopefully have people saying, you know, what is all this? What do we think of all this? And look, as a, as a comedy, it really, really works, and, and it's so outrageous at times. But then it always gets dragged back to the reality of the situation with the character played by Ben O'Toole, who has a sick daughter. And so, you know, you're constantly being dragged back in court to to remind you of the reality of that. And I'm really fascinated by the casting. Obviously, this incredible cast you've got, but you know, Ben O'Toole uh, starred in Baron of which you did an incredible cameo as the crazy guy in the Bali jungle. But and, and I'm just wondering, is that how you cast Ben O'Toole? And also Lincoln Eunice is also in Barons too. But if you draw back through your career, you can see that you played Lincoln's uncle in Tangle all those years yeah. ago. So, you know, you've, you've got a relationship with these actors that's been going on for years and years, right? Yeah, essentially, uh, Andrew, the crazy thing for me to watch the show is everybody in the show is really my friend. I, I don't think there's anyone, I don't think there's a single character that isn't a friend that I've been involved with over the years. And I wrote basically every role for the actor that played the role. And Ben um, O'Toole is a really good example of, of what we were just talking about, that idea of how do you identify the show? How do you give it an identity? Um that that my I, I didn't want to I, um, I didn't want to make a comedy with comedians in this one and it's really dramatic actors um, and Ben is an unbelievable if you see Ben on stage ever I just saw him do um, Streetcar Named Desire and he he's a powerhouse and 
um, real firebrand. And to have him in there to, to, as you say, bring it back to that, that truth um, of, of having a sick daughter. And, and in a way, it's obviously a satire, but in a way, it's almost not a satire. I mean, I, I think when you watch it, hopefully people will see that it's kind of true. We, we sort of do live in a world now where the moral compass has completely blown itself out of the water when it comes to fame and, 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 and popular culture. We now live in a world where the metric is just whether you get views or not. Social media just, it was already heading that way, I think, but now we just, it's just, that's the metric. So to explore that, I really wanted to be able to have actors who weren't comedians. I mean, you know, I mean, you've seen Eric Thompson playing the Colonel and, and Brian Brown playing the Prime Minister and obviously Sean Penn coming in and, and playing a, a very bonkers version of himself. To have actors of that caliber at your disposal when you, when you work as a director was an unbelievable privilege, especially for my first, uh, you know, project. But just real weapons. So yeah, no, all the roles really, Andrew, were written for the the actors in particular. And Ben's someone who's always amused me. He lived with me in LA for a while. He's always amused me how frustrated he gets at life. And so I think I just gave him the most extreme version of that of what might frustrate a man. Andrew um, asked you about the casting. Let Let's stay there. We've, we've got to ask about Sean Penn, of course. I mean, how do you get someone like Sean Penn involved? There's a Couple of other big names as well that uh, pop up on screen. One is the the U.S. Secretary of State. Um, do, do you? And then I guess their time is very precious, um, and you you probably have to work pretty quickly. Just give us some background on those those major parts. Yeah, Sean. Um, through a sort of series of extremely fortunate events, um, our, our worlds had collided. Um, when he made his film Into the Wild, the lead actor in that, I was in Speed Racer with Emil Hirsch uh, right after he did Into the Wild. So short of my worlds collided then. And through a series of fortunate events, he saw a little teaser that we made um, back in 2019 before the pandemic with Lincoln, myself, Benny and Alex playing those four guys. Um, and it was really the four of us were at a, at a time where we were slightly frustrated you know, they were living at my place in LA and we'd all gone up for jobs that we really wanted, great projects that hadn't quite materialized. And we're sort of having that conversation that I think all actors have where you sit around and say, Oh, we should make our own thing. And actors also talk on set and say, you know, Oh, if you ever make, you know, people would say to me, you know, if you ever make a show, you know, I'll be in it. And we all say that to each other. <laughs> and I guess I didn't really know if that was true. And on this one, it really was. And Sean saw that 19-minute um, teaser we made and he rang me up. He got my number and he rang me up and he said, I was in Melbourne. This was during the pandemic at this point. I'd made the teaser and it was sort of floating around my friends. And he he saw it, rang me up and he said, hey, listen, this is so perfectly inappropriate um, <laughs> what, what you've made. <laughs> and he said, I, I want to give you three options. And he, he Sean is a problem solver and a fixer and a credible man of action. And he just cut straight to it. He said, A, you let me champion it for you amongst my circle of people and help you get it made. B, you let me come on board and go on the journey with you and we'll make it together. And and he said, and I'll, I, it'll be yours. I won't tread on your toes, but I'd love to go on the journey with you. Or C, you can tell me to go fuck myself. <laughs> <laughs> so um, C went out the door very quickly uh, knowing Sean. And, um, and yeah, so... 
uh, I, I, you know, immediately just said to him, yeah, I'd love to go on the journey with you. And so he's been the most incredible collaborator all the way through. And then someone like Susan, um, I showed her the same teaser and she said, oh, well, if you, if you write something zany for me, then, uh, you know, I'll do that. And so we shot her with Brian Brown and they had a real uh, a love and affection for each other over the years, um, not knowing each other, but just through their own work. And so I said, I'm going to put you two together. And then Matthew Fox actually from Lost. I mean, for me, Lost is one of the great examples of pop culture gone wild. The whole world was obsessed with it. Yeah, he was in the middle of it, and that was when we made Speed Racer as well. He was in that as well, and he saw the same teaser we made, and he said to me, "Look, I haven't worked in five years." He said, "I'm kind of a bit over it all, and I don't, I'm sort of in re- semi-retirement, really." And he said, "I just love this," and he said, "If you want to write me into it in any way," he said, "I'd love to come down there, and we'll make it happen." Th- and those things were easier said than done. Once, once it was a reality to to, to post COVID, still COVID was around. To try and get Matthew, Sean, Susan to fit in with all of our, you know, and Travis Fimmel's in it later in the series. To have those guys all fit in at the same time in a in a short shoot was was a, a feat of it was a miracle, really. And I'm so indebted to the to the organisational structure within the Australian film industry. These crews are just you couldn't do it anywhere else in the world because we know how to work on a shoestring budget with no time, no money and just make it happen. And they all, they all just looked at me and said, Hey, whatever you want, if you want to do it, we'll make it happen. And they really, really did. It's really incredible. Amazing. And so the Susan you're referring to is Susan Sarandon, who was in Speed Racer with you. Now, that film was made by the Kowskis, and you've worked with them a couple of times because you're also in Sense8 with them. So I'm wondering, as someone that's made a lot of work with them, what did you take from the Wachowskis when it came to then making your own production? I I think... Probably, um, they were hugely and are hugely influential on me as storytellers. Um, and I actually, I actually was lucky to be a part of their other film, Jupiter Ascending, as well. So, um, I worked with them over the last sort of 15, 17 years and we did two seasons of Sense8. So there's, a, I'd sort of check in with them every two or three years and get involved with them. And there, there, Sean talks about it as well. It, it's a creative courage that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them have worked and some haven't. And, um, they, they don't shy away from that and they, they don't fear it. The idea that you can create art that everybody loves and celebrates all the time is, is a myth, really. No one can do it. Um, and it's that creative courage and also uh, not being fearful of ideas. The Wachowski's main theme, if you, you look at the Matrix, especially is if we fear ideas, if we fear conversation and, and transparency of ideas, that's where we end up uh, with it, with sort of the world we're, we're, we're bursting to life from, essentially, is that that world was one of homogenized ideas where if you were different or, or whatever, you get, tre- you get treated as, as an other. They talk about otherizing a lot um, and the idea that you're an other. So really in this show, it was really important to me and all the actors involved that, we, that there is no issues of race. We don't, we don't, you know, we don't really talk about race and we don't really talk about gender and we don't talk about sexuality. There's just a raft of different people existing in the world as them and exploring what their individual identity is. Um, 
and the the, the Wachowski talk often about that that idea of group think or or homogeneity of ideas. So that, that yeah, they've been massive influence on me, certainly intellectually and personally as well. Um, Kick, I've um, I've watched the first two episodes. I actually went back and watched the first episode a second time. I just wanted to get it straight in my head. Um, the, <laughs> can I ask you about a couple of things? I mean, Jeremy Lindsay Taylor is one of my favourite actors, and yep. something happens to him that you'll remember um, in that first episode. And I've got to talk about Lincoln Yunes, the um, the the suntan he has, and <laughs> and. <laughs> Part of his anatomy, which seems to, <laughs> seems to linger on the screen for quite some time. <laughs> yeah, look, we the, the, part of the the idea of the show was to 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 put people in um, the most extreme um, scenario and see how they react. I mean, that's sort of a basic rule of storytelling: is some people need something, and something gets in the way um, and creates conflict. Part of the the idea, the, the first episode is called "Everyone Loves Australians," and I've been asked for twenty years, you know, why does everyone love Australians? When you when you spend a bit of time in in America, and Andrew, you would have experienced it. They always, everyone really, they do love Australians, and everyone always says, "Why is that? What is the dip? What is that genetic code that's different between us and Americans or Brits or Europeans or whatever?" Um, and and if there is, I don't really like lumping everyone in Australia into one group, but if there is one quality, I think that we do have as a culture, it is that we don't, we're not adaptive. We don't adapt to our circumstances. So we remain ourselves. So if, if I showed you a picture of a whole bunch of people wearing suits drunk in a, in a, in an RSL, you wouldn't know if it's a wedding or if it's a funeral in Australia, you would know in other parts of the world, <laughs> what event you were at because they do adapt. Americans do change. If they're at a funeral, their behavior is different. Australians are exactly the same, wedding, funeral, premiere, like, you know, whatever it is, the horse races. I mean, we have a national holiday, a holiday in Melbourne for a horse race. Yeah. So that, that, that idea that you could put a group of mates kidnapped by terrorists in a shallow grave, death is imminent, they're going to get de- they're going to be dead and buried pretty soon, but their main concern is the positioning of where they're all lying in that pit and, yeah. and we remain... Australians arguing over the little things. <laughs> and that was a little, a little bit of a commentary for me on um, w- where I think the world has gotten a bit lost when we debate ideas is that, that we debate the umbrella too much where re- real people in the world are just getting on with their lives and they're probably more concerned about their boss at work that's bullying them than they are about their sort of place in society as a whole it's more on an individual level so it was sort of me saying look these boys are confronted with some big philosophical issues in this moment but their real concern is where they're you know where they're positioned in that pit um years and years ago i always remember there was a movie called sample people that Kylie Minogue was in and the guy had gotten, the filmmakers had gotten funding for it. Literally, they put the premise on a napkin and and they'd been given the money to do it and they made this film and it wasn't very good. And someone as a comparison said to me that your breakthrough film, Looking for Alla Brandy, had spent years in script development and I think they'd done 43 versions of the script before it was approved. 
Then they made it, and of course, it was fantastic and becomes a classic. So my question is, how long have you been working on the script of Court, and how many times did you do another version trying to get to what we eventually see? But the the central thread was always exactly the same, but we definitely went through a bunch of incarnations. And in a way, that idea of 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 um, I was just watching Lost recently because I love watching Lost, and John Locke says struggle is life's way of strengthening us. He's talking about the the moth in the cocoon, and and in a way, the pandemic created. If court is what I hope it to be, this original um, thing that that Australians can embrace as their own, it's because of the pandemic. Because w- w- I wrote the first pilot right before we went into lockdown, and then I was in Melbourne with my family during the the big lockdown. And me and the boys would get on Zoom once a week, and I'd write an episode, and we would do a table read, and it was wow. really just for us to pass the time in the in the lockdown. And so we'd do that, and each week. I'd bring in like a guest star and, you know, Bobby Cannavale came in and, and read the, the director was starred character one episode and Justine Clark was reading the big print in one. And so we were doing these table reads every week for, for quite a long time. And, and that just kept evolving that story. And the big advantage in this casting your friends is being an actor myself. No one's ever going to think about the character as much of an act as an actor will. They, 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 breathe it and they dream it and they think it and these guys took those characters and made them their own and and really created much of their stories in collaboration with me obviously and I'd go away and write them and uh, but they really it was it was an amazing evolution as we went through so yeah the and and I did learn that from Ella Brandy I remember at the time we we waited and waited and well I was cast I think in January and we didn't shoot till November and I, I even then I would have read a few versions and you just kept seeing it get better and better and better and and it's hard to do that in TV because you you do you fight to get the green light so hard for many years, and then you get it, and they go, oh. And Matthew was only available um, till the twenty sixth of September last year, and the earliest earliest we could start was the, the week of the nineteenth. So we had one week, Matthew. So if we if we delayed a week, he was gone. Um, and so we just we were evolving the script, evolving the script, and then you you kind of have to run and 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 you know the analogy I always use with with my experience of this show is I've read that if you get stuck in an avalanche, you've got about ten seconds to punch around you as fast as you can while the while the snow's soft, and then it turns into ice, and then you might have a, a room around you of air, and that's what it felt like when they said go. I felt like for the shoot, you just punch <laughs> as much of the snow away as you can. <laughs> And then you get into the edit and you hope you've got a bit of air around you. Can we talk a little bit about the making of it? I mean, they're, um, they're, they're things that chew up a lot of money and they're, that you have to be careful of. And there, were there any sort of interesting things that, that happened during the shoot and how quickly did you need to work all the time? Oh, we were, we were motoring, James. I mean, and, and, and obviously to have those big stars is, is incredible, but it is very, very costly, even if you're not paying them. Yeah. Um, which they all did agree to do it for the base Australian, you know, salary, which was an, an unbelievable, uh, generous thing for them to do. But, um, their time is really valuable. So you want to shoot them fast. So we had to yeah. work the schedule around them. Julian Ryan, um, is a great, great first AD. He, he was our first assistant director. He was actually, on looking for Ella Brandy with me in a couple of the days, he was a, a young PA um, just doing crowd control at John Barton's funeral. And and I met him way back then and he was our first AD now. 
brilliant, brilliant guy at controlling the set. So we, we didn't really have the money to ever do overtime. So I just knew at the start of the day, whatever problems arose, you just had to deal with them and we just had to shoot and get it done and get out of there. So the huge amount of pressure to, to, to deal with uh, in that day. But luckily I had people like Julian kind of taking care of that. There was one week, James, which I woke up on the Monday morning and it was, it was two weeks ago and I thought, okay, we're good. Sean's going to arrive on Thursday. He'll shoot next week. We'll get him done and the show's basically done. I thought we're nearly there and I got to call it 5.30 a.m. We were going to shoot Faisal as the director that week because he'd been on Shantaram, so we only had oh. him for a week. We literally had him for five days and then Sean was shooting his five days. And I got a text from Faisal saying, I just got COVID. Oh. I just tested positive for COVID on the Monday morning. And you had to do five days isolation. Mm. And I thought, oh, God. And then um, I got a text from our, our um, uh, production designer who'd built the POW camp out in Terry Hills. And he said, the camp's flooded, completely flooded. We're lucky it didn't wash away. I'm not sure we can shoot. And I was like, oh, no. And then I got a, a text um, from Sean and he said, hey, buddy, just checking in. Um, my mother just passed away and his his dear mother, who was an incredible actress herself, had, had died right then. And in that moment, you really do think, oh, I'm not sure what happens now. I, I don't think we can finish. I mean, if Sean's not going to come, Faisal can't shoot and the camp's flooded. But but I'd read a lot of books and I'd had a lot of experience with great directors over the years, luckily. And really what they kind of teach you once they've been around a while is you actually can't do what you want to do as a director. You literally cannot do what you want to do. You can only do what you can do. And so you just do what's in front of you and, and you just deal with, with the one thing that's in front of you. And so I, I kind of just stayed calm in that moment and, and just went out to the camp and we shot a bunch of stuff of the boys around the camp and then figured stuff out. And then all the departments go into action and Julian and Sam Hobbs, production designer, he went out there all night with his crew of 10 people and they, they, I don't know how they even did it, but they made the ground solid and they built five layers of tan bark and then pebbles and then Hessian sacks and da da da. And then we went on and we kept shooting. So that was a pretty amazing day of, of that idea, that old school idea of the show must go on was, was very evident that day. At what stage did you realise that you could write? I mean, what was the first thing that you wrote? And actually, was it a short film? And you went, oh, this is pretty good. And like, when did you realise you could do this? Um, well, actually, it was – I was in a film called Edge of Tomorrow, uh, a Tom Cruise movie with Emily Blunt. And on those movies, it's funny, when you get there, they're sort of writing them on the fly. You sort of think they'll have this amazing system in place. But they really are just sort of making stuff up and writing things. and. They rewrote a scene, which meant that my death was no longer in the movie. So my character just sort of disappeared. And I went to the other actor and I said, who, who was in that scene, I said, mate, our death's been written out of the movie. And he goes, yeah. And I said, I'm not standing for this. And I said, I'm going to write us a death scene and I'm just going to give it to Doug and I'm going to say, come on, mate, look at this. And I said, are you all right with that? And he said, oh, mate, please. So I wrote this sort of page and a half scene of him and I dying in Edge of Tomorrow. And I was just, I mean, I was, just, you know, very tiny part of that movie. It was an amazing experience, but huge Hollywood machine. I went to Doug Lyman, the director, and I said, hey, I wrote a death scene. He was sitting there and he's looking through it and he looked at me and he goes, oh, this is really good. He said, let's do this. And so a week later we shot that scene, which is my death with Jonas Armstrong, the other actor, in Edge of Tomorrow. 
Um, and then I, I then got a bit of confidence out of that and I wrote an opening to that movie, which no one ever says they use, but it's pretty similar to the opening of, of Edge of Tomorrow. And if we're hanging out, I can show you the script that I wrote. And it was more that, but that I felt suddenly, um, it was a bit of a realization that you sort of, you're enamored by, I was always enamored by storytellers, the ones at my dinner table when I was a kid. And then I went, became an actor and I was really enamored by it. And I sort of realized in that moment, oh, wow, it's just, you just write a story on a page and then these amazing people and artists bring it to life. Um, and that sort of gave me the confidence to start that journey. So I wrote a few scripts that, that I never really liked, but, but tried to teach myself how to, how to write. Uh, and then court was, we were living, the, the boys were all living in my place in LA, as I said. And I just wrote it in about a week, this pilot, just for them. I thought, I'm going to write a funny character for each of us and I'm going to set it in this thing and da da da. And, um, and then I showed it to the boys and we all kind of read it and sort of went, Oh, there's something about this that really works. Um, and then that evolutionary process, you know, I felt like I, I sort of learned how to write while we were doing that, even during COVID to write the episodes. And I learned from some really great writers, Adele Vuka and Christian Van Vuren. Uh, two great Australian writers and they came in um, to a writer's room um, with a, with a couple of others and we sort of fleshed out a bunch of ideas and they worked quite closely with me. And, and I have to say, they were so generous um, as the scripts went forward, I would show them, they would come around, we'd read over them and they would help me tweak them. And they were really amazing. They're really smart. There's some really smart Australian writers, even just structurally, they were really amazing at saying like, no, 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 we've got to end with this, begin with this, have this. And, uh, I learned a lot from them. Nick, I think we've got to wrap this up. You're on the publicity trail. So um, just a couple of last quick things. Um, one, last one from me. What, what does having court now, what does that do for you in terms of what's next and does it open up new opportunities for you? I'm not sure, James. I, I, for me, this was really the culmination of a 25-year journey that's been filled with far more disappointment and <laughs> failure than success. <laughs> But, um, but it, but it, it, this is kind of where I wanted to get to. I always dreamed of, you know, that poster on the wall. You know, I, I just always dreamed of having something that, that I wrote and was my story and sort of said what I wanted to say. So, um, yeah, I don't know where, where it'll go from here. It, I guess that'll depend on, on we, we had the, the crew screening last night. We, we showed the crew the first episodes. And that was a special moment because up until that moment, it's yours and it's ours and it's the crew's and it's our thing. But next week it goes out to the world and they'll have their own judgments of it. And I'm sure some will be good and some will be bad and some will say we're a disgrace and some will say it's a triumph. <laughs> and, and the balance of that, I guess, determines where you go. But, uh, yeah, for, for me now, I'm probably, I'm, you know, trying to stay focused just on on this moment and in this time. Well, it's only mid-September. I might end up with egg on my face, but I'm calling it now. This is the best Australian drama of the year. I'm blown away by it. I'm so proud of what you've achieved. It's incredible, and I can't wait to see the last three episodes. You're a legend, Kick. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, James. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us, and it's great. It's The show is caught. It's going to be on Stan, and if you're not a subscriber, this is a good reason to get on board. Thanks, Kick. Thanks, guys.